Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, to join us here today to talk about a number of issues and cases, uh, we have with us here uh, attorney Emily Mimna, who heads up the Nevada office for the Pacific Justice Institute. Welcome, Emily. Hey, good morning, Brad. Yeah, so welcome to the program. And I know you've been very busy uh, getting a lot of things done. What's um, what's going on with regards to the, um, I understand that this Memorial Day, President Biden spoke of duty, honor, and freedom uh, with respect to our military. Uh, I find that kind of hypocritical. <laughs> it was, and he was giving that speech at the Arlington every, every year. There's the national laying of the wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier there in Arlington. And like you said, he spoke of duty. He spoke of honor. He spoke of, um, he actually specifically said that we cannot fail our servicemen and our duty that we owe to them. And he, he makes all of those statements while standing alongside Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who, of course, is responsible for the vaccine mandate order that uh, required uh, all servicemen in the military. And the, in fact, coming up in June, I should say there's a, another uh, deadline coming up for another group of servicemen, the reserves. Uh, so that's going to be a whole nother battle. But, but so while he's speaking of the duty and the honor that we owe our servicemen, he is standing alongside and supporting an order that has been used to strip the religious rights of, of those same same servicemen that we were supposed to be honoring and respecting yesterday. Yeah, it's very disturbing to have the commander in chief uh, right there next to the, you know, the secretary of defense giving this impression of appreciation for those in the service. And yet at the same time, having policies that's going to amount to dishonorable discharge for so many men and women uh, simply because they are refusing, based on conscience, convictions, faith, to take a very controversial vaccine that now we know conclusively um, is not helpful and, and supportive with regards to the COVID virus. In fact, it has a, actually a negative efficacy. It actually puts people worse off. That's where we're at with the new Omicron. Uh, but I guess it's a, a matter of, uh, you know, don't confuse me with the facts. Uh, this is our position. We want to control. Uh, we want to persecute. We want to purge. I think personally, Emily, this is about purging uh, people of faith, convictions from the military. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like this ever in U.S. history. I think that's right. I would say historically, the members, men and women of the armed forces have been extremely religious and devout people. And I would say they still, of course, are, but certainly this policy has been um, used as a tool, I would say, to find and eliminate those who have disfavored religious views. And I think you're going to be speaking to my colleague, uh, Karen White, who has been really leading the charge in defending these men and women. And we were on our you know, attorney call that we have twice a week because we have so many offices now across the nation. And it's a great time when we you know, catch up and we share ideas and collaborate on strategies. And she was, you know, she was telling us, you know, it really is disheartening to see how it seems to be done in the military on an ad hoc basis 
where it really comes down to the personal preferences and views of your immediate supervisor or whoever is in charge of your unit or that branch of the military, which is entirely, I would say, the opposite of what the First Amendment is supposed to be all about, and certainly not the religious freedom and all the other liberties that these men and women have fought for you know, throughout the centuries. Yeah, I understand that uh, there's been something new. Uh, just We just saw a new affront to religious freedom of our armed forces, didn't we? We, we did. So Memorial Day weekend, I think, is often known as graduation weekend for both, um, you know, civic and um, the armed forces. And so I would say Saturday, for example, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden spoke at a graduation ceremony in Delaware. That same day, there was a graduation ceremony at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, where actually the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spoke. And at that ceremony, there were several candidates, three who graduated, they were given diplomas, but they were told that they could not and would not be commissioned into the Air Force because they had not received the vaccine. So these people who had completed four years of very rigorous, you know, these are not easy schools. It's not, it's not like, you know, I, I think I went to a, you know, a hard university, but it's nothing like what these people are doing. And after four years of working towards this goal, they're told that they are not welcome because they simply did not have this vaccine. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. Americans should be angry about this. They worked hard to serve our country. They're ready to put their lives on the line. These could be some of our top pilots of the future to defend our nation with some of the, the, the highest skill set. And they're being told, oh, since you didn't have the vax, we're not going to allow you to be commissioned to serve our nation. A vaccine not necessary for people who don't need it. These are Young people, I don't know of anyone who's 60 and over graduating from the academy, uh, the Air Force Academy. So uh, this makes no sense. COVID is not a risk for people this age. Uh, and even then, the vaccine doesn't help against the uh, Omicron, well, much less the Omicron too. It actually has a, has a negative efficacy. So this makes no sense at all. I think it's, it's either indicative of a very vindictive hostile, controlling mindset. Uh, maybe there's political ambitions uh, to, to try to, if we exercise control, then they'll, they'll need us. Um, you know, is it, uh, you know, just ignorance on their part? They don't have the uh, intellectual quotient uh, to uh, be able to understand uh, what the, the, the facts are and the lunacy of this. I mean, what, where, where do you think they're coming from, Emily? It, it does seem to be primarily ideologically driven. Uh, we don't see those same results coming out of West Point. We didn't see that in the Naval Academy. We didn't see that in the Marine Corps with their graduation ceremonies. They, they, they specifically reported that there was nobody who was prevented from being commissioned. So this seems to have been an Air Force-specific policy. And that, unfortunately, seems to be what, what has been playing out across the military branches, is that each group you know, you know, we, we know that they all have their own policies. And I, anyone who has known anyone who has served know, knows that the Army is not the Navy, is not the Air Force. Um, but the, there is an inconsistency that does not does not make sense and is extremely disheartening. And, of course, something that PJI is actively fighting against. Now, refusing these commissions to these military men who, in the Air Force and women who've graduated, um, there's a real problem with consistency, isn't there, with regards to not only military guidelines, but uh, also the Supreme Court's recent decisions, correct? 
That is ex that is exactly correct. Um, in March, we saw a ruling from the Supreme Court. If you'll recall, um, we had those Navy SEALs that we talked about who had that really great ruling out of the Fifth Circuit, where the Fifth Circuit said that the vaccine mandate restrictions were actually too harsh. So not only could you not discharge or terminate, fire these Navy SEALs, you also could not restrict their assignments. So that went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said you kind of split 50-50 in terms of um, the ruling in, in the sense that they said you can restrict their assignment, but you, you know that they were looking at that question. They weren't saying that you can simply discharge or fire, or terminate these people because they're these Navy SEALs, let's be clear, because they weren't vaccinated. And so that was a 6-3 ruling. And so to look at these cadets and say, well, you're not even fit to be commissioned, that's not consistent with what we saw from the Supreme Court, who said, well, maybe you can restrict assignments. But that is very different than saying you're not fit for duty, full stop. And so that is not consistent, in my opinion, with what the Supreme Court said. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think at the end of the day, the Supreme Court is uh, going to be pouncing these branches of the military that are doing these things. Uh, it's it's shameful and disgraceful. We have a secretary of defense, Austin, who uh, is just seemingly doing everything he can to weaken our ability for the, the ability for this nation to defend itself and is engaging in effective purging people of faith in order to seemingly accomplish that inevitable outcome, that obvious outcome. Um, it's that's uh, really disturbing um, to see that happen. We at Pacific Justice are doing something about this, though, aren't we? We, we are. And I, I should say right now up in front, if you need help, if you know someone in this situation, um, be it in the military, be it in the employment context, be it in the student context. Interestingly, in these cases, we have all three in one. Um, you have employment, you have students and you have the military. But we are taking on all of those cases. We are representing people. And it's always, of course, as Brad, you always say, without charge. So people should go to PJI. Org and they can get more information. They can get immediate help. There's even a new tool now where there's live interactive chat. Um, so, so you can get help immediately. Yeah. And there's so many uh, cases we have ongoing. We have more than 90 cases in active litigation and just one case can involve hundreds of uh, employees or students, et cetera. So if people want to keep up with these cases, I just encourage you guys to go to our website, uh, pji.org and sign up to get our legal insider newsletter which will keep you up to date on all these cases all across the nation uh, we now have offices in 17 18 states 19 states I guess, uh, 19 states I think, across the country now um, and we're growing and uh, having a real impact and i would just like to make this uh, announcement uh, we haven't sent out the, the press release uh, yet i don't believe but i'm going to go ahead and let the people here uh, listening to this broadcast uh, have the, the first dibs on it uh, we just brought on board an attorney to head up a new office in the state of North Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, we're real pleased about this. And um, so we're doing everything we can to meet the needs. Apparently, North Carolina has, has given us a lot of requests for help to the point where it's now warrants us to have a, an, a, an attorney in an office there. So we have attorneys all across the country. So don't hesitate to contact us. And please sign up to get our legal insider at PJ. I .org. Also, I just want to remind people that uh, we have our big celebration of justice event coming up on October 22nd. It looks we're going to have former Governor Mike Huckabee and Charlie Kirk both at the same event in Orange County, October 22nd. The tickets are going fast. If you want to register for that, just go to our website, pji 
www.legalaidmedia.org. It's an incredible event. It's celebrating our 25th anniversary as a legal organization, Pacific Justice Institute. Now, Emily, uh, to change course a little bit here, we've seen some uh, in, an increase in attacks on churches. Uh, just recently, I understand out of Brooklyn, there was a Catholic church where they broke, uh, broke in and uh, busted down the, the barriers to steal the Eucharist and, the, uh, and actually cut off the, the heads of, uh, of some of the statues uh, we had of angels. Uh, I mean, this has got this has got to be disheartening for so many in America that continue to see this kind of violence, and we sort of ask the question, you know, where, where's the law enforcement? Where's the protection? Uh, and especially in places like New York, where it seems to be uh, adverse to be a police officer. It, it is a it is a tough is a tough beat. You know, this, this was a really shocking case. In fact, the church described it as brazen a brazen act of hate. And, and I, I don't really know how else to describe it. The, the thieves or the vandals broke in. They didn't just steal a relic worth $2 million, which is why I think it made kind of the headlines. But, you know, they, they, stole, they stole this, you know, multi-million dollar relic. They desecrated the Eucharist or the host or the, um, the, the communion, which for, you know, Catholics is an extremely sacrament. It's the literal body of Christ. They threw that on the floor. They beheaded angels and they cut the security cameras. And this church was under construction being repaired. So this, this was not, you know, just a random happenstance occurrence. This was planned and this, this was intentional. And although this church was, you know, made the headlines because I think the high dollar value that, that was an issue here, this is not unfortunately an isolated instant. We are seeing increasing acts of violence and vandalism against churches and especially now against pro-life centers across America. And, and, you know, those don't always grab the headlines because it's not always as dramatic as the heading of an angel. So they actually planned this out so that they, they actually cut the security cameras so they, they wouldn't be videotaped doing what they did. Uh, so this was yeah. planned, orchestrated, plus hate uh, was demonstrated and greed. Um, I hope they catch them, but you know, at the same token, uh, they stole, you know, they they stole, uh, you know, from God, if you will, and I think that's how uh, I think that's how God sees this, and I hope that they repent. Um, and I uh, I like to see them try to sell the Eucharist on the the black market. Uh, I I want to bet uh, they're probably not that stupid, but you know, how do you how do you sell something like that on the black market? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, maybe on the dark web, I don't know if the dark web by definition would be interested in a holy relic, but I, I, I think there's, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to figure that one out. But uh, anyway, I hope they get them and um, bring them to justice, full justice. Now there, uh, this seems to be a part, Emily, of a growing trend. Would it not in terms of violence with regards to uh, Christians and, and churches? It's it is since I would just say in the month of May there has been a documented serious uptick in the amount of vandalism and I, I would call them hate crimes against churches against pro life centers and it's not just one denomination it, it it is across across the board but it is specifically I would say anti Christian and, and we've seen anti Christian messages you know sprawled for example there was 
a pro-life center in Washington that had all, you know, at least five of its windows smashed in. Very famously, there was the pro-life center in Wisconsin that was subject to a Molotov cocktail attack. There was actually another Molotov cocktail attack against another pro-life center in Oregon. We saw similar acts of vandalism against multiple churches in Texas. We saw the same thing in Colorado. We saw the same thing in Fairfield. Um, in Virginia and in Maryland, uh, a, a, you pick a state and you can probably find at least one act of vandalism against a specifically pro-life center in the last month. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of reporting about this or, frankly, a lot of resolution about who's behind it or or, or any bringing of anyone to justice. Yeah. And particularly in states where they're hostile to law enforcement, like California, Oregon, Washington state. New York, Illinois, like Chicago, where there's, there's not a lot of cooperation uh, or limitation placed on, on law enforcement. Um, it's very aggravating uh, because these are places that need the hope and the light of Christ. Uh, they need these pro-life clinics. Uh, the inner city is where abortions are the highest, particularly in minority communities, black communities. Much It's five times uh, more abortions per capita in the black community than in the, 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 the suburbs. And so... I think that, uh, that, that we need uh, law enforcement. We need protection. We need these churches to thrive and to, to flourish in these communities um, now more than ever. Uh, where, can, where can people go? Where can churches go to get resources that will help ensure their safety, their protection? Um, you know, we, we have resources online, don't we? We do. We do for sure. Go to pji.org. And under the resources section, of first, those are all free. Everything on, on the website is free for download. And there, there is a specific church security memo that you can look at, and it will walk church um, leaders through ways that they can have a plan and they can protect themselves and, you know, really be proactive. And it's unfortunate that this memo is necessary, but they're there, there is resources or help, and, and it walks you through federal law, for example, the FACE Act, so you can know, you know, what you can do and what you cannot do, which is also important um, in, in terms of protecting yourself and being aware of your community and, and ways you can protect your congregation and, and everyone who comes, you know, who comes to your door. Yeah, we have great resources online. California and Nevada, they've both been pretty big on this emergency, state of emergency and implementing mandates and, and uh, you know, uh, pushback against people of faith who have convictions against these, some of these mandates. I understand you have some good news coming out of Nevada. What's, what's going on out of Nevada? Well, I, I actually didn't notice anything when I went to bed on the 19th and when I woke up on the 20th, but apparently on the 20th, uh, Nevada was no longer in a state of emergency. So something happened overnight that after two years and two months, or I think exactly uh, 799 days, Nevada is no longer in a state of emergency. And forgive me for being sarcastic, but it is ridiculous. Uh, and I, I, to, to add insult to injury, Governor Sislak didn't actually rescind the policies. He just allowed them to lapse. So it's not a secret that he allowed them to lapse, but he, even then it, it felt like... It, you know, we're not even acknowledging the fact that this pandemic, in terms of the need for these mandates, to be clear, I never thought there was a need, but their pretended need for a mandate has long ago passed, that there has not been any emergency situation for months and months and months, and certainly no need for these emergency powers, which allow him to di issue dictates under law, um, issue these dictates for, for so many years. And of course, Nevada is, is free from this state of emergency, but California's persists. 
Yeah, I understand that Governor Gavin Newsom has no intent to remove the state of emergency, even though most states have and are back to normal. Um, I guess viruses seem to hang around California more. I mean, do they like the the, the coast? I mean, it, obviously not. I'm being you know facetious There's here. Francisco in there, but I won't make it. Um, but no, he's actually, I mean, two, a couple of points here. First, Pacific Justice Institute sued the state of California, sued the uh, county of Santa Clara all the way to the Supreme Court. PGI, of course, won, got a permanent injunction, it issued, um, well, temporary, then we turned it into permanent through settlement negotiations with Santa Clara County. So, so even after PGI went all the way to the Supreme Court to secure basic religious liberties for Californians, specifically for Santa Clara County, even after all that, Governor Newsom does not want to give up these emergency powers because he still has the legal ability to issue other mandates if he wants to. And, you know, as we've seen from President Joe Biden, who prefers to issue executive orders rather than attempt to work with the legislature, it's simply easier. And unfortunately, this is my opinion, it seems that, you know, the people of California and people across the nation really have forgotten that governors are not supposed to legislate. They're not supposed to dictate. And after, I think you're at 818 days now in California, after 818 days, one has to wonder at what point is it, you know, what? why do you even need a legislature if Governor Newsom is just going to hang on to these emergency powers and just issue executive orders whenever it suits him? Yeah, and that's exactly what we have right now. Now, the voters will have the ability to say thumbs up or thumbs down this midterm election. I know Governor Gavin Newsom is up for re-election, but um, I, you know, I'm not so sure that there's uh, enough uh, common sense in California to uh, not only smell tyranny, but to, to, to see it when it's so obvious and blatant uh, in, our, in our state. I understand that uh, the New York Times, Emily, has recently come out um, against, if you will, the, the transgender movement, in, in a sense. Uh, what, what happened? This was pretty shocking. On Sunday, on the front page, they actually had an article that was fair and unbiased which is to say that it didn't, you know, it talked about the Leah Thompson issue and it talked about, you know, transgender issue in terms of biological men competing against biological women in women's sports. And so, the, you know, there is the liberal, you know, preparatory language about um, the transgender movement, but there's, there's actually multiple concessions within the New York Times, which tells you something is rotten in Denmark when even the New York Times is admitting that there's a problem here. And so, you know, among the various concessions, they admitted that the consensus of scientists, of the scientific um, peer-reviewed papers, is that there is an undeniable, or I think their word was immutable, biological advantage of males over females. It, it, and again, this falls into the category of duh, and I learned that in seventh grade biology. But but these, these things are being seriously debated, you know, in legislatures and, you know, in, in school boards and in school rooms. And so this is important. Another important concession from the New York Times was that you know, the left is actually looking to declare the idea of biological sex to be a social construct. So so the ultimate goal, and again, this is the New York Times in which they include the Biden administration in this group of radical trans activists. They actually included the Biden administration in their own in their own article that the ultimate goal is to declare biological sex to be a social construct, to remove the idea of biological sex and ultimately use things like the Equality Act 
to destroy the entire idea of women's sports. Again, these are not my words. This is actually in the New York Times, which is why I sat up and you know took literal notes on this because I think it's great when we, as you know, conservative Orthodox Christians, can point to liberal sources and say even they agree. Um, I, I think that is you know useful information. Yeah, they also. Not I understand they us. also acknowledged uh, Emily. Excuse me. I understand they also acknowledged that uh, that uh, the transgender movement is is violating Title IX of the Civil Rights Act in terms of allowing biological males to compete against females, biological females. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and actually came out in an attack to the Biden administration's support for uh, the Equality Act, which would be a, a travesty for religious freedom and for women's rights. I mean, I'm, I, it seems like when you have the New York Times coming out and spelling this out like that, uh, that should be a wake-up call when you have the likes of the New York Times uh, making these kinds of assessments. Well, almost makes you think that they've been watching his channel, Brad, because they're they're some of their comments on the Equality Act are things that you've been saying since the Equality Act was first proposed, right? This is an affront to women's sports. This could undermine the entire idea of you know biological sex and things that were dismissed. Um, or, you know, being, you know, the, the pro equality act, people were saying, oh, no, 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 that's not what we're trying to do. New York Times is saying, no, that that is literally what you're trying to do. And your own activists are saying that's what you're trying to do. And now it's, you know, it's in black and white. It's actually being published on the front page of the New York Times. And so when the New York Times says Brad Dacus is right, you know, I think, I think I'll take <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I have to admit it is pretty shocking to see that. But thank you very much, Emily, for that insightful information of the great work you're doing there out of our Nevada office. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.